Successful Performer Cast, Episode 29. This is the show that interviews one full-time professional entertainer per week with the goal of inspiring and equipping those who are working to make the leap themselves. This is the Successful Performer Cast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Successful Performer Cast, the show that interviews professional entertainers to inspire you, our listeners. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you of a few things. Be sure to pick up your free PDF show booking and debrief form that I've put together for you. It's an invaluable tool that will help you keep track of all aspects of your show and get everything you can out of it in order to improve your act and grow as a performer. Pick it up at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash booking sheet. Don't forget to visit our Facebook group where you can go and post questions and help each other out with any business challenges you might have. It's a closed group right now, so you'll have to request entry, but don't worry. I'll let you in. I promise. Find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash FB group. Real quick, I wanted to thank Kevin Viner for his uh, rating and review on the iTunes store. It always helps when you guys do that, so... uh uh, feel free to go into the iTunes store and leave me a rating and review. I really appreciate that. And I also wanted to uh, just uh, say that I've had a chance to talk to a few of you guys via emails and uh, Facebook messages. I just wanted to thank you guys for your time. A couple of quick shout-outs here to Bruce Irion, as well as Morris Poor, Joe Diamond, and Perry Yan. Thank you guys so much for your time and your insights. Uh, I really think uh, you guys are helping me to improve my show. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing this for all of you guys, so thank you guys so much for your input. Finally, if you can think of anything I can do to improve my show, any resources you'd like to see on my website, or would like to suggest someone to interview, please drop me a line at ks at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com or hit me up on the social networks and let me know. I'm open to suggestions and feedback and have already implemented many suggestions from you guys. Now, let's get to the good stuff. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show a fun and hilarious performer. Mark Kornhauser is one of the most successful comedy acts in the world. Mark boasts 25 years plus, consistently performing in and producing shows in the most prestigious casinos in Vegas, Reno, Lake Tahoe, and Atlantic City. We're talking Harrah's, Planet Hollywood, Mandalay Bay, Flamingo, Tropicana, and Hilton, just to name a few. He's open for more than a few top-name entertainers like Tom Jones, Elvis Costello, Frankie Valli, Terry Fader, David Letterman, and Tim Allen. And he's also been featured on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Masters of Illusion, NBC, Fox, Comedy Central, and HBO. Mark, I'm super excited to have you on the successful performer cast as a guest. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, Chris. Nice to be here. Hey, awesome. It's my pleasure. So let's uh, let's get started here with a little bit of uh, inspiration here. Could you tell me? Do you have a favorite success quote or a particular mantra that li- that you live by? Uh, you know, you even prepared me that, and I I don't. I thought about it. Um, you know, I, I sort of ironically tell myself it's uh, hard work and clean living because it does kind of boil down to that in a way. But uh, nobody works hard enough, and nobody lives clean enough, really. And sometimes it doesn't seem to matter either. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's, you know, I think that people preparing for a career in magic or trying to sustain a career uh, have to work hard. And I think harder now than, than ever before. And then it's, it's so competitive. And uh, often there's uh, uneven playing fields that you have to be in top form. And uh, that means, uh, you know, healthy, physically, mentally healthy and strong and uh, capable and hardworking. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can you give us maybe a specific example of how your hard work and, and clean living has paid off for you? Oh, I, I never claim to be an example, by <laughs> the way. <laughs> so I, I know this by virtue of having been on both sides of that fence, I think. Sure. And having seen everything around me, you know, I, I think that's what you strive for. Yeah. But I know that when I was in my best shape physically, uh, that was also important for me mentally. And people respond to you better when you're, you know, healthy. Uh, you know, you, you get a better supportive nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think uh, entertainers who really take themselves seriously do try to keep themselves um, not you know healthy emotionally healthy physically healthy mentally healthy because otherwise it's hard to compete i think sometimes you can think of it as a wheel where uh you have the different portions of your life and you have to make sure you're working on each aspect of your life equally so that the wheel doesn't get out of balance yeah i am not sure it is equally uh you know because a lot of times if you want to succeed in uh in magic uh, it's so demanding and you want it to, that's why you want it. You know, you want it to dominate your life. You sure. want it to be the, the driving force and the, and you want it to bring you the kind of satisfaction that, that you imagine that it can. And, uh, so it, it's not unusual for it to become maybe oftentimes too big a part of a person's life, uh, maybe more than ever. And maybe by the same token, uh, there are times when you, uh, you hate what you're doing. You know, I think you do have a, a, a mostly love, but sometimes hate relationship with, uh, with your work because yeah. it's work. It's work and it's not always, uh, it's not always easy. Right. And it won't always be pleasurable either. <laughs> For that. No, there, there's a lot of, you know, you do have to learn the lessons of uh, making it pleasurable. I, I, you know, I think we're lucky in that we can't overlook our good fortune, certainly, of, of being in, in this business. That's certainly first and foremost. And you do have to, you know, the proverbial thick skin is probably uh, uh, an important prerequisite to, to the uh, benefits program. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, you know, you, you, you have to be focused on, on the things that are important, uh, you know, your own personal growth as an artist. And, uh, you know, whatever else matters to you. But, uh, you know, it may not be always uh, money, you know, financially rewarding. It could be up and down on, on that, certainly. Yeah. It has been, you know, in the business, it has been for many people right. for a long time. Not everybody's going to have, I mean, even in the history of entertainment, you know, of people who were very, very successful mm-hmm. in different parts of their life. And, and ended up broke, you know, because uh, just because you're successful for a little while doesn't mean, uh, you know, you always will be. I mean, you know, all the stories of all these great musicians who made tons of money for so long, but, uh, you know, ended up, hey, it doesn't last forever. Yeah, it's fleeting. Yeah, you know, the fame and the money. That's right. 
So, Mark, could you give us the short story of how you discovered magic and comedy and entertaining, or how it perhaps discovered you? Well, you know, I did magic as a kid. I had a, a friend who showed me some uh, card tricks, and uh, he, I was uh, 13 when we started doing uh, kid shows. He and I did kid shows. Um, and then I, uh, you know, went to college and only did magic, uh, when I was in college for, you know, uh, fraternity parties or something, you know, uh, yeah. I had a special beer act, which uh, believe me, I wouldn't be proud of, but, I, <laughs> but, uh, it was fine. And, um, uh, and then, you know, really, uh, I, I didn't, I dropped it for a long time and, uh, I was teaching meditation uh, for six years, I taught transcendental meditation for Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, mm-hmm. and it was there that uh, Doug Henning was just getting interested in uh, in, ma- in meditation. So I actually, uh, you know, was fortunate enough to uh, pick up Doug at the airport and drive him down to Iowa, uh, where we had Maharishi International University. So that was his, and that was the day after his uh, live special aired, his first one. Wow. 60 million people had just seen him, uh, you know, the night before. And we drove to Iowa and we stopped at a Denny's or something in Iowa. And uh, he got recognized in the middle of Iowa. And that had never, of course, he was not famous around the country until that moment. He, he was well known in New York City because he'd been on Broadway. But that was his first television exposure. And uh, so he was, uh, he was amazed that out in the middle of Iowa, somebody would recognize him from having seen the show. Yeah. Um, and it was Doug who really, um, you know, said, hey, being a professional magician is a great way to uh, make a living. And I realized, of course, later that, yeah, it's a great way to make a living if you've had a Broadway show and a television special. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, otherwise, it's, it's, it is a great way to make a living, but it's not as easy, you know, if uh, you don't have uh, a celebrity status. Yeah. You know? Celebrity status goes a long way. I'd give anything to be a has-been. You know what I mean? That right. means you, you, at least you succeeded at one point, and you can still ride on your own coattails a little bit, you know? Sure, yeah. Uh, once you have a name of any kind, it you know, helps. Uh, but, you know, in the variety business world, it's not about that. You know, you're a guy who did 12 minutes most of your life as a magic act. Or mm-hmm. if you had a show, very few people have their own shows. More and more, that's more common, I'd say, that people are doing shows more than act spots. I think that's the big shift in terms of, and I think how people need to think about things more, more in terms of doing your own show, being very self-sufficient, um, and forget about being an act, because uh, those types of businesses aren't really there much. There aren't review shows. There aren't opening acts. When's the last time you saw an opening act? It's rare. Yeah. Huh. Now, did, did you ever do any work with uh, Doug Henning? Yes, I did. Uh, he did a couple of my bits on... Uh, on his uh, early, uh, one of his television specials. Okay, so and, uh, you, you did some writing for him, or? Yeah, yeah, well, it was a piece I was doing that uh, he did on the show. Uh-huh. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I more of a consultant for him, yeah. You know, okay. Uh, and I have some nice letters from his, my, my uh, Doug Henning memorabilia file. Yeah. Could you maybe talk about something you've learned from Doug Henning? Doug Henning had a, you know, he, here's what they said about Doug when he, uh, when he opened on Broadway in the Magic Show, which turned mm-hmm. out to be, you know, an enormously successful show. Yeah. Um, when it opened, I think it was the New York Times, said, here's a guy who can't sing, can't dance, can't act, 
but is going to be a huge star, something like that, because he's doing 12 of the greatest magic tricks that we have ever seen. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, but he also brought with him uh, a pure spirit. You know, he, he, uh, he probably didn't, he probably was uneducated enough in those other arts. You know, he didn't really have uh, much of a theater background that I was aware of, um, even though he believed that the principles of theater needed to be imbued with magic and that that's what would create art. He yeah. believed that theater plus magic equals art. That was his little formula. Hmm. And, and the right, you know, nicely put, I think, too. Yeah, absolutely. So you you were uh, you were teaching um, uh, transcendental med- meditation, and you had come in contact with uh, with Doug he- with Doug Henning. Right. Um, how did you uh, decide to to start performing professionally? Could you talk about how that played out for you? Uh, you know, um, I wanted to do it. Uh, I wanted to do it. So I, I remember going to a comedy club in Chicago and being very nervous. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> deciding at the last minute to change my opening, and and then it not working, um, and then at the end, uh, the guy paid me two dollars, and I didn't even expect to get paid. Hmm. So uh, I thought, and he, you know, invited me back, and uh, it was fine. It was fine. Um, but I was sort of a fish out of water, or, or a fish in the wrong pond, or something. You know, I mean. Mm-hmm. The other people were all, you know, comedians and improv groups and stuff. Uh, uh, maybe that's what helped. Is that you know? Yeah, you're pretty uh, unique. Yeah, and there were, at least there, there, at that time, and uh, there were a lot of comedy clubs in Chicago, and you could you could work a lot. You could you could uh, do a lot of shows. Um, that was a that's a very very important part of anybody's uh, maturation. Yeah. Anybody who's serious about being, you know, a professional magician needs first and foremost to do a lot of work before they're a professional magician to have an act that's, you know, smooth and tight and strong and different. And you know, you need to you need the work. You need to work it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a big problem these days. I think that just very few places to work. Yeah. So were were you still uh still doing uh, uh teaching the transcendental meditation while you were performing in these nightclubs and stuff like that? No, well, there was a, maybe a little bit of a transition okay. area, area there. Yeah. yeah. Where it was quite a shock, you know. I I had been living in the rarefied Alps with Marishi for 6 months and mm-hmm. uh when I came back to the United States and you know, I, I worked in a bar, you know, which I, you know, which was a shocking sort of environment for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I don't think I'd ever been in a bar that I was married at the time and, and my wife started crying, you know, she goes, what is this? <laughs> well, it's a bar, you know, <laughs> and, and you're going to work here. Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah. And then, and then you were also doing your act and, and, uh, uh, putting things together and getting something that would work. So how 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 long was it before you were actually able to start making money at it then? Uh, well, you know, I, I I remember once I wasn't making a lot as a as a meditation teacher. You know, okay. I was I was living on bare bones money uh, and happily mm-hmm. on very little money. So I I never thought I could make a lot of money. Uh, you know, doing magic. I remember thinking, oh man, if I got fifty bucks here, and you know, and I could do that five times, you know, I could make a thousand. You know, very little was my always my calculations sure 
um, it wasn't until much later, I, you know, when I moved to L.A. and I remember driving in a car with an agent and he just made a deal for somebody to open with Debbie Reynolds for $3,500 a week. And by the way, I, I know who that was. It was Martin yeah. Lewis. Martin. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, I thought, wow, Martin's, Martin's doing well, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he was a big agent and everything. Uh, I thought, wow, if I ever made that, I'd only need to work a, a week every six months and I'd be okay, you know. And uh, uh, But, um, you know, there was that opportunity, uh, more so then than now, for an act. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get started in performing at casinos and, and big showrooms like that? I auditioned at the comedy store. Okay. Um, and the first day I auditioned, I did – three or six minutes, yeah. you know, in, at the comedy store. And, and after that, uh, uh, Dick Foster, somehow I got into Dick Foster's Spellbound right from that. Mm-hmm. And that was the first, no, it wasn't even before Spellbound. It was the show called Could It Be Magic? It played at Harris Tahoe. And it was Lance Burton, Shimada, Martin Lewis, uh, Bob Fellows, uh, Rich, Rich, Ricardo, who, which is, who was Ricciardi's son, okay. did a black art show. And uh, that was sort of a, um, you know, a pre-Spellbound show. And then, then Spellbound opened in 94 with uh, Carlton and company and the Pendragons. And, and uh, I came in a month after it opened and stayed with it for a number of years, quite a few years. Wow. Now, what were these names big already at that point, or were they kind of uh, at, at their beginnings as well? Well, I would say, uh, you know, Jonathan was really in, in many ways in his prime, in some ways. And, you know, he was in great shape. He was, uh, he was a great act. Carlton was also in great shape and a great act. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the venue was spectacular, the first one. They had a you know flying saucer come in. It was a, <laughs> the elevator opened. A big glass cage came down, and Carlton was in there with a leopard. And you know, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty spectacular. But that that was a, and then that led to casinos. You know that that was spellbound came into the casino world, and then you know that's a very separate world, the casino world. You, you fit into it. You got to know how to fit into a time spot. Mm-hmm. You got to you know. I didn't know that when I first. They I used to go long all the time. They didn't. You know, now you know beginning, middle, end. If they say nine minutes, nine minutes. Yeah. So what what are some of the uh, misconceptions that people might not think of if they wanted to go into performing in, in casinos? Well, unfortunately, they, there used to be a real market there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I wouldn't... I, there's still markets, uh, but not, not as an act spot, you know, not okay. a review show, not as an opening act. You know, not to say there aren't some smaller rooms. Or now there are many, many more casinos. There are Indian casinos that have not really uh, done a lot with uh, other than headliners. Mostly, you know, they don't produce a lot of their stuff, or they don't they don't do much production shows or long running shows. They bring in headliners in and out. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that they aren't good targets for comedy and magic nights or comedy and magic uh, clubs or you know, I mean, in a cabaret type thing. Okay. Um, so that's still a market, I think. Uh, to work in Vegas, you know, I mean, it, it mostly, mostly it's a money deal. You know, mostly you, you four-wall a room, you have a lot of money, and, and then you find out it's an uneven playing field. So Yeah. So what, would you say it's kind of uh, on its way out then? or 
I'm sorry. What what what's on its way out? The the business for magicians in Vegas, right? What, uh, as an act, the act. Okay. You know, there are a lot of shows, you know. But that that's why I say the shows tend to be money deals. You know, yeah. take over a room. You know, you're not hired to go in there. Here's a hundred thousand dollars to a show, which is right. what it used to be. Now it's you can rent this room for us for, you know, quarter of a million dollars for six months, and then you have to spend that much in promotion and advertising. And then, of course, you got the cost of running the show with a union crew. Okay. okay. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, so that, that, that makes sense. So the, the game is kind of shifting then. In, yeah, in I'd say for, for, I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, see, you see shows and you see magic shows mm-hmm. opening and closing in Vegas yeah. uh, quite regularly still. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, you won't find somebody landing an act spot that stays somewhere for a year, you know, mm-hmm. that, or, or you won't see many opening acts. Yeah. Which used to be, you know, almost every headliner used to have opening acts. Okay. So you, you've been doing this for uh, 25 plus years. Obviously you're doing something right. How are you staying in the game, Mark? I think the most important thing is to be dedicated to the idea of always generating new and as original material as possible. Okay. Um, and that's just a natural part of your growth in the business. You know, as you change, you change, you should, you know, change your material. You should always be developing. It's your material that reflects your thinking and your growth as a performer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you don't, I mean, I, that's why people are suspicious Certainly, variety acts accuse of, oh, he did that act 25 years ago. Yeah, but it's, you know, it might be a darn near perfect act. Or it might be, you know, every, when every moment is crafted, you know, it's a, it's a finished product, finally. And um, so, but, you know, uh, it's still, you still have to develop new material. You still have to show your growth and your understanding of what you're doing in the next thing. Yeah. So, in in your time in doing this, like you said, you see magic shows open and close all the time in Vegas. Uh, could you maybe talk about what you think these people might be doing wrong or might be doing right? Maybe what are some of the mistakes you see people make? It, it, totally unprepared uh, for what they're really getting into. They really don't understand. They all say they do. They all think they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, they would need it's not a it's not a beginner's game. The marketing is you're competing against 130 shows. Yeah. And some of them are, are financed to the tunes of, you know, tens of millions of dollars. You know, you have seven Cirque shows you're competing with. You're competing with all the headliners and you're competing with shows that are free because they just because casinos are willing to give away their product to get them in. And yet, you know, so if you can find the perfect storm, you know, if you find the right room and it's a win, win, win. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that there aren't more of those because I believe there could be. I believe there could be many win-win-wins. But in general, uh, casinos uh, and the business of uh, doesn't allow that. Hmm. Yeah. So where do you see the future of entertaining? Uh, personally, where, where do you see the future of entertainment in Vegas going? In Vegas? Mm-hmm. Or, well, in casinos? Well, I, I, like I said, casinos is really, you know, I think there's – Magic is a great product if you, for bang for buck. Yeah. So from a purely practical point of view, 
you know, you can approach a casino with some nice video and nice pictures and a, and a lot of bang and, wow, it's only that much. You're not paying, you know, there's no celebrity status. There's no, you know, you, you, you can do a pretty big show for you know, not much money. And that goes a long way in, in, in you know, in, in terms of selling to, in a, in a down market even, uh, when, when they do, you're replacing shows that used to cost $25,000 in the bus and truck market for performing arts centers, say. You know, now uh, I'm told the sweet spot is $7,500, you know, mm-hmm. that's what they're looking for. So, hey, magicians can do that. You know, you can put something together. Yeah. And, and the success in that in that type of show, I mean, I think we see already is in these sort of these uh, gango magicians uh, shows. You know, Masters of Illusion uh, uh, has you know three to five magicians in it. Okay, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Illusionist has six or seven guys in it. Uh, Masters of Magic had uh, four m- m- acts. So you know, not, nobody is going to look like a headliner necessarily. Uh, but if but this gango is a is a great way to ensure or, or help uh, appease the worries of a casino owner or entertainment person because, oh, it's a variety show. Yeah, and, oh, this guy's good, this guy's good. Yeah, it's going to work, you know. And you eliminate a lot of your production value by doing it gango style. Uh, and it seems to be what is selling right now. You know, you can, you can put it, that's the cheapest way to put a big show together. And it's very competitive in, in the world of performing arts centers or any, any theater. Yeah. Good point. I, I hadn't thought of that. And, uh, uh, you know, just, just looking at things uh, as they are now, I, I can think of, uh, you know, just like you said, the just different band of magicians going around. And, uh, yeah, seems, uh, seems like it's something good, something working right now. <laughs> well, I, I think it's doable because uh, every city – Every city in America could could have a Christmas magic show. You know, yeah. uh, there are you know there's uh, there's uh, what's it called the Nutcracker. Every every town has them. You know, mm-hmm. and Christmas similarly could be uh, a big time because that's about the only time people are willing to leave. You know, they they got Xboxes at home. They got Netflix. Yeah. You know, if they're going to leave the house, it's got to be for a reason. And the only reason. You know, it might be, oh, it's family time. We should do something. Oh, there's a magic show. Oh, maybe they'll get Billy on stage. Let's go see the magic show. You know, it's an easy sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's well, it's magic and Christmas is a good sell to casinos, which is, you know, because normally they don't want kids, but Christmas, okay, we'll do a family thing, get the locals in. Mm-hmm. So even to casinos, a Christmas magic show is good. But I'd say any city, uh, could have a Christmas magic show and you might need to get three or four of your friends to do it. And what's wrong with that? Makes it easy. Yep. So Mark, we've all had them. Could you tell us about a specific failure that you've had that we can all learn from? I don't like to think of them as failures exactly anymore because, uh, I realize, uh, I give myself, I, I, I'm so more, you get more afraid to fail. I think as time goes on. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, um, so you have to give yourself credit for all the times you did uh, jump in there. Right. But, you know, I mean, I guess the one that's easiest to talk about and that many would accuse me of as being a failure, although I think of it not quite so. Uh, you know, I did a, uh, a lepetamine act. Uh, you know, lepetamine was a famous flatulist from the turn of the <laughs> century. He, he performed at the uh, Moulin Rouge and was the most highly paid act of his day. 
Okay. And, and there are books written about Le Petamine. People who are sort of fond of the obscure variety arts all know Le Petamine. There was a movie about him recently. Anyway, so I uh, kind of did it in a French. I was doing characters, and I was doing five spots in this show, and he wanted a sixth spot. I said, oh, I'm going to finally do this. And uh, I had a, uh, a gas tank rigged up to my uh, pants, and I could light. And to this day, I still do a little pyroflatulation, I call it. Uh, I can light, you know, huge flames coming out. And I had a soundtrack and uh, I had a French accent and had a Kerry Pollock gimmick that allowed me to apparently blow out of candle like the Lepetamine Lepet- did. So that was, uh, you know, I was encouraged to do that by some very uh, important people in my world. Uh, I mean, specifically, Peter Ravine kept saying, oh, you got to do the Lepetamine Act one day, you know. And, and uh, you know, Peter Ravine, I had such, he thought it was funny. So, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll move on it. So uh, in Biloxi, I indeed did do, uh, I, I uh, had everything. I mean, I was dressed and mustached and had the accent and had tanks and Kerry Pollock's candle. And, and, the, uh, and they were all a little worried. You know, this is Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, so uh, I, I remember not getting my first laugh. I thought, oh, I'll get a laugh as soon as I do this. Oops, didn't happen there. You know, and then that throws off your whole understanding of the routine. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to get a laugh there. Now I'm worried. Oh, didn't get a laugh here. Uh oh. I mean, the first time I did it, I had my pants down around my ankles before I got any laughs at all. So that was a long way to go to be standing there knowing I'm going to be doing some pretty horrible stuff in a minute here. <laughs> and uh, oh I got gosh. my pants down around my ankles. I'm in Biloxi, Mississippi, and it matters. It matters a lot. That, you know, so. Fortunately, though, you know, uh, I have to say uh, the routine eventually was, a, uh, in my mind, uh, wonderful, and I did it for a long, long time. And uh, a lot of people hated it, and but they, but uh, they still know it about it. They still remember it in Biloxi. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> is is there a is there a video anywhere online of you doing that act? I I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. I hope those have been purged from all the NSA records from existence, too. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, but it was actually, you know, so I don't consider it a total failure because uh, I, I really did get some mileage out of it in a perverse yeah. way, you know, and <laughs> and and it was, uh, you know, it was some some of my friends really liked it, and that's sometimes what matters, you know. Right. Uh, but um, you know, I, I, I've had plenty of embarrassing moments, plenty of uh, failures in terms of just you know every everybody has yeah, jokes as, as we all have yep. yeah even shows I mean it has it wasn't that long ago I had a terrible show um, uh, I was actually I was hired to do a roast and I was paid a pretty good bit of money to roast this guy mm-hmm. and uh, it was terrible for me because. Uh, I was given all the, I felt all the wrong information about this guy. Yeah. Everybody told me the stories about him and stuff. And then <laughs> I was supposed to, you know, be this horrible insult guy. And no, I, I it was terrible. I bombed. I felt awful. And, uh, you know, you walk out of there, uh, you know, I, I just found a quiet place and screamed. Yeah. Sometimes uh, that's all you can do. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Man. So on the opposite side of the spectrum, can you tell us about one of your favorite successes? You know, I I, uh, I like doing my current act with my dog. Uh, that was sort of a lifelong uh, ambition. Yeah. Um, and so now I've had my dog for uh, about ten years now. That, that's Jaja, right? That's right, Jaja. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jaja is here with me now. In fact, 
as is Goulash, uh, who is the next in line. <laughs> right. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Zsa's, uh, so I want, always wanted to do that routine. And even, that was a huge failure when I first did it. You know, was that was absolutely, you'd think not, but I get, oh, I had every problem in the world. Huh. But uh, it was a totally, it wasn't meant to ever be a ventriloquist routine. It was meant to be like, this was this incredible dog who could bark out songs, you know, eight bars at a time or whatever, you know, uh, but strictly through barking. So uh, it was meant to not be revealed as a, as a cheap trick, which it, of course, now is. But uh, it was in, it meant to be a very different kind of routine, which failed miserably. I, I took it up to a show in Oregon. I was there for three months. And the first few times I tried it and did it, it just what, it didn't work. It was, ah, it didn't. And then something went wrong, and I just started doing lines with the dog. And then it's, they started laughing. And I realized, okay, it's got to be this. <laughs> and then, then it didn't take that much longer to actually write the routine you know okay now that you knew it worked you could actually structure something after that and and build a show well i i had something i had something structured it's just the whole thing did the whole idea the whole premise didn't work the idea that this was a just a normal dog who could bark songs you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't going to be now it's obviously it's a talking dog in more of a ventriloquial sense um and and nobody although three or four year old kids there's a certain age when they, they really believe that the dog is talking, mm-hmm. that a dog can talk. They've just never seen one yet, but they're only three or four. So I've had a lot of great experiences <laughs> with my dog, not just with three or four-year-olds, but uh, it's such a, a, a charming thing for me, even though it's, you know, it's mine. I still think it's charming yeah. because uh, my dog is so sweet. You know, and he added a piece to the last show we were in. Uh, she actually... Mm-hmm. Plays plays a he on stage, uh, okay. but uh, she now walks off the pe- at the end of the song. She jumps off the pedestal and uh, walks up stage, and then waits for me. Looks, turns around, looks, waits for me as I say good night, and then uh, then we go off together. Oh, that's nice. That's uh, very sweet. And she added nice that button. herself. Yeah, she did it. You know, so I give her credit. Wow. I'm not a good dog trainer, you know, at all. But I've had some help from. Uh, a couple of good dog trainers. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that helped a lot. And then, and then, when it comes down to it, it it really boils down to listening to your audience, doesn't it? And and how how the the act kind of shifted. Oh well, yeah, you know what I mean? Abs- ab- yeah, 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 yeah. But you also know. I mean, I I'm not. I'm a believer, of course. You have to, the audience, of course, is always the absolute. Uh, but you know, you can misjudge an audience, and you can you can uh, people usually do. Um, they have what's called laugh ears sometimes, which is the idea that their laughs are magnified in your head, but not anybody else's. So you have to really be cautious about your approach and you have to look at the material. The material has to pass all your tests, beginning, middle, end. And it has to mean that this sentence, if it, is it doing anything? Is it, is it funny? And is it moving the action? Okay. It's in. Is it just a, something off the beaten path because I happen to know this joke comes out? So when that kind of craft work is done, then, you're, then you know it's finished you know, or more you know, closer to finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you uh, maybe talk about for a moment what you're going to be doing with your uh, other dog, Goulash? Is that going to be a completely different act? Uh, yeah, but uh, Goulash will be a talking dog. Okay. Goulash uh, uh, you know, w- hasn't been trained much. But it's a very different looking dog. He's a 
poodle. Oh, there, look at Zoomer talking about us. <laughs> Hi, Goulash. Oh, there's Goulash now. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, but, you know, I, I, uh, dogs are an important part of my life, and I'm lucky that I can, uh, you know, stay with them 24-7 pretty much. And, uh, you know, I travel with them. In fact, uh, Zsa now has the capability of uh, going in an airplane as my uh, therapy dog. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How'd well, you wing that? Well, you know, you have to kind of uh, you have to make a case for for it, which I did, and uh, you know, so as long as you make the case and they sign off on it, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't that hard? Makes sense. They're more lenient these days, uh, but I, I'm you know more lenient these days. So yeah, we we uh, we don't go anywhere though. Uh, she she lives a privileged life, and uh, pretty much she's always with me. And uh, so when we go, we usually drive. Mostly we drive places, almost all. Even to Florida. We drove to Florida last year. Mm-hmm. Now, where, where are you living right now? Is it uh, Vegas or? No, I moved up to Reno. Oh, Reno, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love Reno. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'm in my, ho- my old house. I had this house. I bought this house 20 years ago when I lived up here. Mm-hmm. And I moved back in. I, I love it up here. Nice. So, Mark, how do you differentiate yourself from, from other performers? I mean, I, I guess it kind of seems obvious, but do you have a unique selling point or anything like that? I think uh, everybody uh, – differentiation is very important. Otherwise, why bother? I mean, there's uh, – you're taking a crapshoot. The more, the more generic, you know, mm-hmm. the more of a crapshoot it is. You can't just be doing classics with a twist. You can't just be that they like me, I'm a good guy. You know, it's got to be uh, – reflected ultimately in your material and and you know uh, everybody needs to always be upgrading material and and trying new things and trying things that that they feel is uniquely suited to their personality something that comes from their own desires and their own interests and their own you know and uh, you know that's what helps shape their understanding of you it's not that uh, we see you and we understand you as you want us to, that you just think you're a nice, charming person and you've got a nice suit on. You know, it's got to be a lot more than that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you have to be vastly different from everybody else. The more the better. In, yeah. in terms, I mean, the more the better in terms of marketing and business, certainly. And it seems logical that if you're following a more of an artistic path, you would naturally go on your own and develop uh, in other areas, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they should go together. I think most people jump to conclusions and uh, try to market themselves as something they're not and uh, because they think that's what the, the world's greatest, most amazing uh, uh, master of illusion can be. And they end up in that pool of generic, uh, generic illusionists usually. Yeah. So, could you maybe talk about where you get your inspiration? I mean, we we have you uh, up up on stage with your dogs. We have you uh, playing the violin with your nose, and and we have this uh, this wonderful uh, green ball with a mouth that doesn't even move. I mean, where where do you get your where do you get your inspiration from? <laughs> oh, the green ball. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, it's I think that just like any you, it's your job to to. It's your job to come up with stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's the seed that's planted in your head. I'm all you're always, you know. I mean, 
you're all not always, but you know, you have it there that, you know, and I know when I plant the seed even, I know when I'm going to tell myself, I want to do something new and I want it to be like this. I'll kind of set parameters for it. Even I want it to be like this. I want it to be, you know, this something. And then, uh, then maybe, you know, then you wait for that initial, you know, melding of a couple of ideas. Yeah. So uh, a couple of things seem to be working it out. And then, uh, and then, then the work really is, you know, writing the script. So, you know, once you have that, and if, if all these ideas need to come out in the script, and more ideas need to be added in the script, and um, uh, that's a big flaw that most people simply don't go through that process. You know, uh, inspiration is 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 for everybody, and then uh, you know, then there's this, the the perspiration, as they say. You know, you have to. You have to work it out. You have to, and it means writing a script. It means rehearsing it. it means all that boring stuff. And the, but you also need the opportunity to get it up on stage and crank it. Otherwise, inspiration is a dime a dozen. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, can you can you tell us one specific thing that has worked really, really well for you in growing your business? My business. Ugh, I'm a bad businessman. <laughs> um. Uh, I think fortunately um, I worked a lot and uh, met a lot of people and um, I really tried to, to only really stay in touch with the people I, I, you know, I, uh, I genuinely liked. And um, I had some good, you know, good connections for many years. I think that relationships are very, very important part of, of the industry Mm -hmm. and, Unfortunately, that's it, the industry gets more and more closed, more and more uneven, more and more unfair in a way. I mean, the best thing you can do is to get a meeting with somebody. You know, get past the emails. Can I come in? Because that you don't you're you don't even know what you're selling them half the time. You're willing to do this. I'm willing to do this. I'm you know what do you need? Just tell me. You know, so you need to get in a room and and find out from them. You need to be able to ask them questions. Uh, what kind of venues? Oh, you have a little room. You have a big room. Uh, are you busy on the weekends? You know, once you fill in all those all those holes, then you could present something. Then you can come to them with something that's suitable for them. Uh, most of my work did not come from agents. Agents is like a myth like mythological creature to me. Mm-hmm. I haven't used an agent in twenty years. I bet um, <laughs> seriously. And um, but have I? found situations and brought them a product or a project yes that's that's really the has been what i do very project oriented and filling a need but you have to know what the real needs are and you know and like in the casino industry you have to know about the casino industry you have to know what their demographic is you have to know who the gamblers are who, who they really care about and uh you know not that you can do a great show that the whole family can come to you know that's usually not what they care about yeah but you know, you got to know all that to, to give them something they need. And I think you need to shape something they need. And that's based on you having a pretty good relationship with either the marketing director, the entertainment director, somebody you can talk to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So could you tell us uh, an interesting story, something you've encountered during your performance career? Um, you know, I, I'm like everybody else. I, I like those little moments for you. You know, you're, you're, you're taking a leak and James Brown is next to you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, uh, you know, those kinds of things. That, that sounded oddly specific. Did that happen well, to you? Yes, yeah, well, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, am, I met James Brown a couple of times, actually. Um, but yes, the, the first time <laughs> I, I walked into the, I was going to the bathroom in a casino and uh, he, you know, security guard stayed out and he went in, I went in. And he went into one of the stalls and I went to the urinal and I said, I'm not going to rush this or delay this or try to time it in any way. So I end up at the sink with James Brown. But as it happened, uh, we did end up at the sink at the same time. And I was, you know, taken aback a little. I said, oh, Mr. Brown, something like that. And he said, how you feeling? And I was stunned. Of course, what I was supposed to say, I realized like an hour later, I was, oh, I was supposed to say, I feel good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he was setting me up, but I was too much in awe, I think, like, you know, like anybody I was. Yeah. That uh, James, James Brown and me in the bathroom here. Wow, that's that's funny. And <laughs> what an awkward moment too, right? <laughs> no, I'm all right. I think every, <laughs> I have a friend who has a, 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 the idea for a book called Crossing swords, and it's people, <laughs> people who have taken uh, leaks with uh, famous people. I can I can name the famous people I've taken a leak with. You know. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have never heard of that. But uh, wow, crossing swords, yeah. yeah. I tell you, man, the things you're going to hear on the successful performer cast. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's been your biggest professional challenge since going pro? You know, uh, it was easier, uh, I guess, not caring about money. It was easier when you uh, were willing to do anything and uh, all that, all that. Mm -hmm. I think the hardest thing is to, you know, uh, stay through the difficult times and uh, to keep, you know, creating material and make yourself happy. Mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a, you know, what was a very clearly a, a magic recession for a lot of people. Um, I worked as much as I ever wanted for a long, long time, and then until not that long ago. Mm -hmm. and, and now I'm, uh, I'm forcing myself now to uh, every day uh, make phone calls, at least a couple calls a day, a couple emails a day, you know. So, and that's probably going to be, you know, uh, hopefully enough. But, uh, you know, there's, there is more work coming back now. I, I feel very good about, uh, you know, the prospects now because. Magic's coming back. A lot of magic on television. Yeah. Uh, not all of it good, but um, but there's interest in magic, and yeah. uh, there's a lot of magic shows touring. Some of which are very good. It's getting uh, popular again. I think it is, and I think that uh, I think I I know more now, and I know what I want to do now. Uh, you know, and and my basic philosophy on that is you can no longer be an expensive act, but you can be a cheap show. Because they will buy a cheap show now, and I think that's that's you know that's what I'm working on, uh, as opposed to doing you know 12 minutes or a seven minute, uh, you know. And it's it's a challenge for me. That's my current challenge: is how do I, you know, I have a lot of spots. I've done a lot of different spots: a seven minute, a nine minute, a 12 minute, an eight minute. Mm -hmm. But doing 60 is never my thing. Uh, doing 45 is never my. I always felt uncomfortable doing a half hour. Yeah. You know, because there's a certain rhythm and, and pace you get used to when you do an act spot. And then, uh, and it's not the same. I mean, when I used to need a friend to fill in, say, in, in a variety show, uh, I'd say, okay, I need you to do a 7 and, an, and a 12. 
And uh, I said, oh, don't worry, I got 60 minutes. I go, no, 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 I don't need 60 minutes. I need a 7 and a 12. <laughs> you know? It's not the same thing. Yeah. And vice versa, of course. So looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Of course. Everybody would do things differently. Although, I've got no complaints. Sure. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was a beneficiary of, of part of the, you know, the really good times in both Tahoe and Vegas. Uh, you know, was there at the, all the right times for, for a lot of that stuff. Um, and now I think there's opportunities for, you know, change and new opportunities for, you know, uh, you know, small theater shows, those kinds of things, things I'm genuinely interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty optimistic about uh, the future of, of magic and variety and novelty. You know, again, a lot of those TV shows have, have not necessarily been great shows, but they've generated interest and people may now want to see something live. Hopefully though, they, you know, TV won't have spoiled them, which it did in some ways. You know, there, there are things on TV that do spoil you, not because it's so great, but because it can't be duplicated live. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. uh, and, and magicians on the live scene have not, uh, have not kind of kept the, uh, raised the bar on the production value. The production value in most shows is pretty miserable. Hmm. And you look at any one of the, well, no, not, you don't look at the magic shows on TV. Look at the Look at the things they do for, you know, the variety specials, the other variety specials besides the magic ones that look yeah. so glamorous and wonderful. And they have, you know, great production numbers on there. I mean, and then magic comes on and it's sort of in neither this nor that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the live shows have to come up to snuff a little bit uh, in terms of production values. Um, but uh, I think that's, you know, that's coming soon. Um, you, you mentioned uh, a moment ago that you are writing a, uh, a column in Magic Magazine. Could you talk about that for a moment? Uh, what's it called and what it's about? Uh, yeah, uh, so the next one I write will be 48, so four years, okay. one a month for four years. It's called For What It's Worth, and Stan Allen lets me pretty much write about whatever I want. And, uh, you know, I'm allowed to be a little opinionated. Uh, I, you know, I try to make it have some substance and some... Uh, legitimacy as far as uh, sage counsel or uh, inside information or, you know, or legitimate uh, theatrical discussions. Um, And um, so I'm compiling those now. I'll put that out in a a bathroom reader. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a bathroom reader for professional magicians. So very, very niche market. Yeah. So we're, we're here at the end of the show here, and uh, this is where I have you recommend a resource and uh, two books for our listeners. So first off, could I have you recommend a resource that you always use? And this could be anything from like an iPhone app to good old paper and pen. I see. Huh. Um, well, I think it's important to write a lot. So I would say, you know, put a folder on your computer that, you know, and call it uh, – you know, show outline, you know, start putting folders on your screen so that when you have ideas, you can write, a, write out something and, and keep it there. I used to just have notebooks, boxes and notebooks, and I never go back to that. But yeah. if I keep them in folders, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's searchable. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's the only sort of discipline I think that I might want to pass along. Book-wise, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you what I enjoyed recently, not that long ago, uh, was uh, the Steinmeier histories. 
Right. Uh, mm, but the one on the Thurston, the one on Chungling Su, mm -hmm. uh, Hiding the Elephant, all really wonderful. And, and I think reveals uh, important ideas to magicians just in terms of putting the world of magic in perspective. You know, it's a real world with real people. There's a lot of weirdos out there. And we, it's like it is now, you know, it's, it's that sort of a complicated social world as well as business world, as well as corruption and all, you know, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, it's all, it's all always been a part of uh, this world, you know, and I think it's important to understand that part of this world as well. Yeah. So any of those, and also just in turn, I just also recently was uh, reading Our Magic for the from uh, when was that written? 1910, I think. Oh man, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a uh, hundred years old now, actually. And but you know, there's some great, uh, simple, straightforward comments about the need to maintain artistic integrity. Yeah. And uh, that that they would turn over in their grave if they could hear the twenty-somethings of today talk about how important it is to be famous and how important it is to make a lot of money and how important to get on TV with very little mention of their craft mm -hmm. and. Uh, and how that needs to be, you know, front and center for everybody. I think that's always a good reminder. Yeah. Could you also recommend one book that is outside of the performance realm, like a yeah. business or self-development uh, I'll tell you one I will. Uh, it's, uh, and it's easy. Uh, it's when you're having a little if you, a creative slump. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple in that area. But one, the one I like, I think Roger Von Oak is the author. He wrote a couple, one called A Whack to the Side of the Head. <laughs> Uh, or another, a kick to the seat of the pants, and Amazon sells them. He also has what's called a whack pack, which yeah. is uh, a deck of cards, really. And you can randomly select from this card, and it will it will say, "Look at this problem," you know, because you have a you know an idea in your head. Look at this problem. How would Walt Disney deal with it? How would Steven Spielberg deal with this? How would this be if you you know you have all the money in the world to deal with this? Uh, you know, it tries to if you're having a, 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 a sort of a glitch in your creative process. Um, that is a that's I think useful a useful technique. Absolutely, and I think it's funny that you mentioned that because the last person I interviewed, who was a, a magician named Kevin Viner, had also recommended the whack to the side of the head. <laughs> oh no, kidding! And yeah. I must say, uh, it's in one of the articles I just wrote for Magic Magazine. I very I think maybe the one that just came out, um, and I it kind of reminded me mm -hmm. uh, because I had to come up with something for that. But uh, yeah, that's. I know a lot of magicians. And the other one, by the way, is The Artist's Way, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, just, you know, recommends keeping a journal and writing just for the sake of, you know, scribbling even uh, for stream of consciousness. I mean, for people, again, who are having trouble using the other part of their brain or having feel like they can't do it, that's crazy. You know, that's, that's the biggest, the, the, the fear that you can't do, your, write your own script. You know what? The, people tell me, oh, write something for me. Yeah, look, at, I can it just takes a long time. Yeah. And that's what you got to do. You got to be willing to spend the time doing it. It's, it's time consuming. It's painful. And, uh, you know, but, but you can do it. That's the good news. Mm -hmm. And people can write their own scripts, you know, and use the, <clears throat> excuse me, principles of uh, normal editing and be fine. Yeah. Yep. You just, you got to do, you got to put the work in. So. Yeah. And I think ultimately there'll be I mean, it's fear that, you know, that makes people go to standard things, fear that makes people not write anything interesting, just kind of walk, talk through it, blathering really a lot of times uh, because they think they can't write it yeah. themselves or they think that they have to talk 
in a way that's unscripted. Well, it's scripted if you're doing it every night, whether you wrote it down or not. It's still something that's scripted. Yeah. <clears throat> so you do need to break through the trifecta. You know, that's your problem. The problem is your script, maybe. So use that as the focus and then try these different approaches that you might get from either the artist's way or from, you know, creative whack back. Or, you know. Right. But, but that should help. That should help uh, solve that problem. Yeah. And, and then be courageous. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always that. Yep. Is, yeah. So uh, a quick note to our listeners, uh, the, the links, uh, I will include links to the resources and the books that Mark has mentioned here. And you'll also be able to uh, check out some of the show notes, uh, different things that Mark has been talking about and follow along. And you can find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash Mark Kornhauser. That's M-A-R-K-K-O-R-N-H-A-U-S-E-R. Now, Mark, uh, one more thing I'd like you to do, and that's to give a parting piece of advice to our listeners, and then tell us where we can find you online, uh, plug your services, and uh, any products you might have, like uh, like your column. Um, well, uh, parting advice, you know, hard work, clean living. Uh, Full circle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and it is that, you know, and uh, and and courage, and courage, yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, uh, happy to, uh, you know, hear from people. And uh, I will have a book coming out, which is uh, a professional magician's bathroom reader. And it will be a compilation of uh, 48 or however many uh, columns that I have had in Magic Magazine. I love that. And uh, you're also at markkornhauser.com, correct? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah. Well, Mark, you've shared all kinds of wonderful information that our listeners can use to help grow their performance businesses. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your experience. My, my pleasure. Thank you. It's been fun. Have a wonderful evening. All right, you too. Hey guys, this is Chris Shepard, your host, signing out. I just wanted to remind you of a couple of things here. Uh, be sure to visit our Facebook group and interact there. You can find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash FB group. And also don't forget to check out that free PDF show booking and debrief form. And you can find that at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com slash booking sheet. And also if there's any way that that you think I can improve the show or anything uh, you would like to see in the future or anybody you'd like me to, you know, try and get on the show as a guest, uh, just shoot me an email at ks at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com. Now, go out there and make your dreams happen. I feel good!